Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. Today, we're fortunate to have a couple of folks with us from the National Institutes of Health, in specific, the National Cancer Institute. Uh, Let me just give you a little background on who we've got with us today as we start to focus in on some things. Shannon Bell is the director of the NCI Office of Workforce Planning and Development. She leads the uh, Employee Development Services, Leadership Development Programs, and Coaching Program, and other human capital services across all of NCI. She has over 15 years of experience as a coach, facilitator, trainer, mentor, manager, and leader in the public sector. Shannon has a master's degree in social work and originally joined NCI uh, as a presidential management intern. She became a certified Sherpa coach at Penn State in 2007. She's an organizational development practitioner and mediator, fuels her passion by supporting individuals to enhance their positive impact on business throughout building collaborative relationships and teams, effectively managing difficult conversations, harnessing their strengths, and understanding and minimizing the impact of their weaknesses. Shannon was recognized as Sherpa of the Year in 2014. Shannon, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you so much, Greg. We're excited to have you here. And then we also have joining us today uh, a gentleman I've known for several years, Eric Cole. Eric joined the NCI as Deputy Executive Director in June of 2019 after seven years at the NIH Clinical Center Hospital. He serves as Principal Advisor, the Executive Officer, and assists the NCI Director, Senior Management, and Program Staff on all aspects of business administrative management. He previously served as Chief Information Officer for the NIH Office of Research Services and NIH Office of Research Facilities. Eric founded the nonprofit Dandy Walker Alliance in 2006 after his son Ryan was born with congenital brain defect and remains their executive director today. He's board certified in healthcare management as an American College of Healthcare Executive Fellow and participates in a number of national organizations and committees. Appointed by President George W. Bush in 2008 to a two year term on the President's Committee with People Before People with intellectual disabilities by, and by Governor Martin O'Malley to a five-year term on Maryland's Developmental Disabilities Council. He was then reappointed to a second term in 2013, where he served as council chairman until his term expired in June of 2018. Currently, he is serving a three-year term on the Commission on People with Disabilities in Montgomery County, Maryland. An extensive bio for both of you. Welcome, Eric. Thanks, Greg. The purpose on the teamwork advantage is to really understand uh, several aspects of it. And I've often said that teamwork is a, um, the single greatest advantage any organization can have today. We've all talked about it and we understand teamwork from a, uh, a sports perspective. And there's a lot that can be understood when we look at it from individuals and business perspectives as well. And that's what I wanna look at today, both from a leadership aspect leading a team because you're not only leading a group of people, you're also leading individuals and that can prove challenging. Um, The National Cancer Institute is fairly large. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe it is the largest institute. Is that right? 
Okay. Yes. And I think, Shannon, we were talking a little earlier, there are over 3,000 full-time employees. Is that right? That's right. 3,000 full-time employees. And that's a lot for you to take on and managing the training side of that and trying to teach uh, and coach everybody. How does that work? How do you find and how has your leadership changed over the years? Because technology has brought a lot of that together. Absolutely. So, you know, just to clarify, we don't do any sort of um, hard skills or, or content really training. We don't do scientific training or any of that. Right, right. We do all of the soft skills. So we, mm-hmm. we really help people be better team members, be better leaders, um, and, and, you know, work to figure out their organizational culture. Um, it has changed a lot. So, so we were already on the path to moving from just in-person training, which, you know, we, we, when you get trainers, especially folks who are like me who have been doing it for a while, we love our in-person training. But Absolutely. we're already making the switch to virtual, and certainly now we are on the fast track, one might say. Right. Now, Eric, you've joined uh, and you came over from the hospital side of NIH. How has your leadership itself specifically changed uh, over, say, the last 15 years? Because it, it, the whole industry has changed. Well, I, over the years, I think how it's changed is you realize more and more as you go along how important it is to set the right example and, the exam- and that you need to model the example that, that you want others to follow so that you can be consistent in that. So if you do one thing and say another, um, it comes across as disingenuous. You, know, you have to be you. And as long as you model that, I think you know, people understand that your transparency uh, interprets to being a genuine individual and, and most people are willing to go along. Absolutely. Congruency is a huge factor there. So how would you define your leadership style? I'm one where it's all inclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to hear people's ideas. And for those individuals that are comfortable opening up on their own, um, you're going to hear them anyhow. Um, I think that we have a responsibility to hear the opinions of others that might be more introverted. And so sometimes that's asking them um, in various different forums. Sometimes it's in a small setting or one-on-one, but everyone's important needs to be heard. And if not just for um, the different thoughts they might bring, but it's the richness of their diversity and their experience that we need to hear. So if we're going to serve the uh, individuals across the globe who have cancer, we need to hear the ideas of everybody um, that we can get the opinions of. And that, that's key because everybody is different. I mean, in my workshops and training, Shannon, you can relate to this. I often ask, what would the world be like if everybody was exactly the same? And the answer is boring. So you've got to adapt your style, if I understood you, Eric, that some people naturally will open up, some people you have to kind of lead them down the path. So that's, that's key, and that seems something that's a little natural for you. Shannon, let me ask you from your side of it, how do you teach people to be more engaging and get, uh, change their leadership style to work with different people? Well, so we actually um, do a lot of that, and we actually use a tool. There's lots of tools out there. Mm-hmm but we use tools that help people understand that there isn't necessarily a right way or a wrong way, right? Rather, there are different ways. And so when you're dealing with someone who, if you know, if you're very gregarious and extroverted, you may not inherently understand or know how to deal with someone who is naturally shy or reserved, but it's not that they're doing it wrong is that they're doing it differently. Exactly. And they bring incredibly important 
perspectives that you're not ever going to think about to the table. So it is really figuring out how to engage them in a way that works for them so they can fully contribute. Yeah, being inclusive and getting it in there is so valid because there's so many people who bring things to the table from different perspectives that we might not always see. And that's, the, that's, that's one of the biggest things that I work with. And that's good to hear that you're doing that. Um, in the midst of all the COVID-19 and everything else, and we have no idea where we're going to come down on the end of this or how long it's going to be, how have you changed some of your styles? Uh, Eric, let's start with you as far as leading. How have you changed things? I mean, working from home is very, very different than seeing people every day in the office. So how have you changed? Well, there are certain opportunities that we had in the physical workplace environment, uh, like running into people in the hallways um, or in the cafeterias that we just don't have that opportunity now. Mm -hmm. So in this new environment, I think it's all the more important to reach out to check on one another, to find out you know, what we can be doing to help support each other. These are natural conversations that we would have in the workplace mm -hmm. um, if we were physically there. Well, I think it's a good reminder that we are still in the workplace. It's just that we need to adapt our style to um, being, being in contact with all the members of our team and making sure that they're good in a healthy place. Do you find it that you're sometimes chatting with people and maybe setting up um, a Zoom call like this or a, uh, a separate one-on-one -on -one conversation, maybe just a 10 or 15 minute check-in meeting call with one, or one person at a time, or are you doing it more on a group basis? I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that you know, it, it, this has given me the opportunity to reach out to some individuals that I haven't spoken to in the past. And so that has been a rich experience but it's also been an opportunity to pull together some teams that, you know, otherwise when we're in the physical workspace can just be logistically difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Now, when we know that everybody's staying at home, um, we know that if, if the time is free, then um, they very well might participate. Right. And what's interesting is I think more and more organizations are following the philosophies of Google who really don't care that much about, you know, what time of day you're working as long as you're getting the job done. So, I do think, I, Greg, to that point, I think that uh, the flexibility um, in this environment is one of the huge uh, benefits, but I think that style is different for everybody, where I think some people appreciate that because mm -hmm. that's what they want or that's what their, their, um, their life situation calls for. I think that's great. There are other individuals that like to know the, the, the day is going to be yes. nine to five, Monday through Friday. And I think we have to respect that as well. Oh. I think that's one of the things for people in leadership that we need to be reminded of the fact that just because we can have the technology to send a message anytime we want, we need to make sure that the people that are receiving that don't feel like that's an obligation that they have to always be on. So I see right. there are certain instances where we need to take a moment to ask, does this really need to go out now or can that wait so that we don't make people feel like they have to work all the time? One of the things that I've started using and one of my clients actually taught me this about six years ago, because I've worked from home for over 20 years. And there are times that I will work till 10, 11 o'clock at night. There are other times I'll be in bed, but I'll get up at three o'clock in the morning and I will work. And so if I go to send an email out, delayed delivery has become my friend. Uh, so I always encourage people about that. Do you use tools like that? Do you recommend tools like that for people, either you or Shannon, do you? 
Absolutely. Okay. For leaders, because like Eric said, you want to model the behavior you want to see, but you also want to not set up an expectation inadvertently. And we had gotten to that expectation uh, inadvertently, even before the uh, process like this. I've had some of my clients send me an email at three o'clock in the morning. And it's like, really? <laughs> On holidays and things, it's like, okay, I'm not going to get back to you. Okay, or I might get back, say, I see your message, I'll respond at a more appropriate time for me. Something like that. So I, think you help your, I think you help your teams, Greg, when you're reliable and you're consistent. And yeah. tools like that that Shannon mentioned, the delay delivery, things like that, are key. Because again, it helps people to be able to anticipate what your move is as a leader, and it helps them be able to then support the organization and, and bring forth great opportunities that we could then pursue. And that brings me, uh, my mentor years ago, David, uh, he used to be a senior vice president for uh, IBM. And he, it goes to the same effect, way before we had technology anywhere near what we're looking at today, and we're talking, you know, 25 years ago, David understood his high payoff time. And that's when he would focus in on his key work, which for David was two to three o'clock in the afternoon. Now for me, that's, mm -mm. I mean, I'm a 6 a.m., 8 a.m. type person, but David was 2 to 3. So David would close his doors between 2 and 3, and everybody knew that was his key time to work. Nobody would bother him. So we need to try and get that. Do you do anything of that nature to get everybody to understand each other's key times or how they may be working? Well, I think we, we definitely encourage it, and we have some courses that um, is really understanding your energy and how to maximize that mm -hmm. work. You know, and, and we, we brought in um, the gentleman who talks about sort of everybody's on often a three or four hour cycle. So you have your highs and your lows and how to manage that. Um, so we definitely talk about that in the workplace. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's key. So let's talk a little bit more. We talked about learning and Shannon, you're on the personal development side of things in the soft skill arena. Um, how do you keep up with your own personal development? I mean, we talk about how we're doing it with others. How do you do it? So, you know, I don't do as much of it as I would like to, particularly right now, because I have a lot of different things I am balancing. However, what I have all been sure to continue to do is I have a couple of new newsletter podcasts that come out weekly that are mm -hmm. out to me. Um, have a couple of leadership authors that I follow and, and look at their stuff weekly. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, I do get some industry magazines and take the time to review those articles um, that I think are really important to sort of stay connected. Right. Eric, what about you? Um, what are you doing to uh, keep up with your self-development? So I'm a big fan of audiobooks. So I like to listen to a lot of business and leadership books via that mechanism. Um, I also like to maintain relationships um, with a number of different people, especially those that are, um, they either have backgrounds that are not like mine or they are going to have a, a perspective that will be different than, than I could bring. And so it's, I, in my mind, a lot of it's about relationships so that people will feel comfortable when the relationships are genuine, that they will let you know when there's an opportunity that I might not see, or we all have blind spots. You know, I hope that these, these individuals and these relationships that develop into genuine friendships, they would tell me, you know, they would say, hey, you know, there, there's something that, you know, you need to consider before you take that next step forward to make sure you've thought through it carefully. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you both brought out a very key point of 
relationships. Um, understanding those relationships, understanding and continuing your own personal growth is critical. Right after the uh, COVID-19 shutdown started happening, I was fortunate to jump on a uh, rather large Zoom webinar, not a Zoom meeting, but a webinar with over 5,000 people put on by Patrick Lencioni. I'm sure you're both familiar with the five dysfunctions of a team. And some of the things that he was bringing out at that point were absolutely fascinating. And it was just, it was great to be engaged with other people in your own like mind of doing things like that. Um, Shannon, like you, I tend to um, subscribe to a lot, listen to book, and Eric, like you, listen to audiobooks. I've also found that uh, following the right people on um, social media, such as LinkedIn and even Twitter, when you follow the right people, can uh, be very, very helpful. You start to see new articles and things like that that you might not normally pick up. So do you guys do anything in the social media aspect like that? I am not a big social media person. Mm -hmm. I, I have LinkedIn, but I have not used it nearly as much as I certainly could have. Right. Um, okay. You know, making the transition tech technology now, it's not really my natural state. Yeah, it's, it's one of those difficult things. And what I found is just by, I can see things by other leaders and just it's the same concept that you've got and I have a chance to hear other people's points of view. And that's, that's really powerful. When you go to hire somebody, I mean, in today's environment, it's really kind of interesting. When you go to hire, what do you look for? Eric, go ahead and start with you. I look for somebody that's going to buy into the culture that we're trying to either perpetuate or create. Okay. So I want somebody that when we identify talent, a couple of things that I don't find it's very easy to teach are work ethic and a good attitude. Right. If they bring those skills to the table then I find that there's very little else that they can't be taught. Okay. So for me, it's about, you know, uh, having that approach to, um, to work. And um, those individuals I find are willing to, um, you know, show up for you, if you will, every day to provide uh, hard work, but also when situations arise where you need help in an emergent situation, they're going to understand uh, through your consistency that mm -hmm. you've not burnt them out along the way. They're going to be willing to help you out and get through those tough times. That's key. Now, how do you avoid hiring, for example, a mini you? How do you avoid that? You, you purposely go out and you look for um, the different backgrounds that everybody brings. And mm -hmm. it's not just um, about age it's not just about race it's not just about sex it's also about it's all those things it's also life experiences and um i'll, I'll tell you one of the things that i like to do is um when when i interview somebody a lot of times i like to do it on a panel and i like to put on that panel people that are completely different from me and while we might ask every candidate the same set of questions and from the same person, what I'm looking for is how they respond to the individual who asked the question. So if they um, are asked a question by somebody that they perceive to be more junior than them, or that might not have the educational background that they do, and they're dismissive of that, that's not the kind of culture that I'm trying to create. And so that's noted in those situations. Right. It's a lot like um, Southwest Airlines years ago. I don't know if you ever read this uh, articles on that. They started panel interviews probably 15, 20 years ago. 
And while the panel was doing the interviewing, that's not who they had to impress. They were looking the same concept as you are. There were spotters in the audience who were watching the other people, not the person responding, to say, are they engaged watching that other person or are they so busy focused on their own answer? And if they were focused on their own answer, they didn't even get to the second stage of interviews because they perceived them as being self-absorbed and a taker more than a giver, which is just powerful when you start to look at that. Shannon, what do you, what do, you do in your department? I mean, you're in also in a leadership role and, and there is a difference between training and coaching. Am I correct? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. So what do you do when you're looking for people to come into your department, whether you're hiring a contractor or whether you're uh, working with somebody and hire a separate trainer or something like that, what do you look for? So the two biggest, I mean, what Eric said is absolutely true, attitude, all of that. Mm -hmm. And the, the things that we really, really screen for um, is what we call coachability. So if, if they're open to feedback, can they okay. maybe what they might want to work on. So the degree to which we think they are open and receptive to feedback and modifying in order to make it better or fit the environment. Um, but also um, really team orientation. We do almost everything. In my, in my division or in particular, but I think even at NCI wide, we are very much a team based organization. So, you know, if somebody comes in there and, and is talking about I, there's nothing wrong with that. That may be a great job down the road for them somewhere else, but it isn't necessarily fit for our organization. Right, right. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of uh, looks at, and of course, being somebody who studied teamwork for years, it, it's really powerful to understand and watch and listen for those I's and me's versus the we's, us's and ourselves. Right. And just listen to the conversations that flow into those lines. So how would you guys, now, Eric, you and I've talked in the past about mentoring and you do a lot of mentoring. Am I right? Do a fair amount. Okay. So when somebody says, Eric, will you mentor me? Or you see somebody that's new in a division and they don't necessarily have to be on your specific team. How do you, how do you work with a mentor or a mentee, I should say, when you first get started? What do you do? I think there's, there's two approaches. You have the formal mentoring relationship and, and then you have the informal one. And the formal one where somebody um, expresses an interest to enter into that type of relationship, you know, I, I want to sit down with them and, and have, you know, the conversation that, that this truly is a relationship. And my question to them is, what are you seeking to get out of this relationship? Because I want to, to be fulfilling for them, but I also want it to make sure that you know, I might be able to provide some of what they're looking for. And if not, and I know that Shannon or somebody on her team can do a better job than I can, then it would serve them better for me to help them get linked up with the right person. Mm -hmm. But when you do find the right fit and you, you, the secret sauce is there, that's where a lot of magical things can happen. But Shannon hit the nail on the head a few moments ago when she said that, you know, people have to be open uh, to to including others in this because the the person that's in this just because uh, they as an individual want to do it I found that those individuals sometimes they can be hard to mentor and mm -hmm. I'll give you a specific example mm -hmm. one of the pieces of advice that I like to pass along especially for people that are coming up through the organization or if they are certainly in their first supervisory role is I let them know that there's going to be times in their careers and in their, their positions where they're going to be asked for advice. And when that happens, they should be flattered. 
and they should do it in a way to where they summarize what they think the issue is, lay out the pros and cons, and then make a, a recommendation. However, they shouldn't get so attached to their opinions or their recommendations that hopefully are all well thought out that they get their feelings hurt if the person that they are advising doesn't take it. Because right. it's important to realize that many individuals in leadership are getting opinions from others. And so they have to take all of those inputs and rattle it around with a dose of the, the organizational politics and the environment that they're currently operating in and make the best risk-based decision for the organization at that time. So it's not that a leader is dismissive of a certain opinion. I think when you are you know, first getting into management or you're coming up through the ranks, I think it's easy to get one's feelings hurt if they don't understand that whether people go with your recommendation or not, you should be flattered that they just asked. Because they're going to be in that situation in the future where they're going to need that rich diversity of opinions coming in. But hopefully they've communicated along the way that say, hey, you know, we might not be able to go with that this time, but I learned something from that input. Like that's the important takeaway for those relationships. Exactly. And they may even grab a segment of it, but not necessarily the whole aspect of it. It's, it's almost like cooking, not baking, cooking, where you've got recipes. Oh, let's try this. Grab a little piece of this, grab a little piece of that. And they have to blend it again, back to what we talked about earlier, their natural leadership style. Right. And that's, that's absolutely so spot on. Um, so and we'll go back with Shannon, because you were talking about coaching and the coachability factor. And I want to tie that in here because there is a difference between coaching and mentoring. How, do you, how do you look at that, that difference there? And how can you tell when somebody is coachable? So we actually, you know, have, have built an interview question around that. And that is, you know, tell us about a time when um, something didn't go well, what feedback you got, and then what you did about that feedback. Okay. Get very different responses from folks who are less coachable. Um, they talk about how they got this feedback, but it wasn't really quite right versus someone who talks about the feedback they got and how they integrated it. Excellent. Okay. Now, so that's the coachability mentoring, Eric talked on it. How do you define the difference between coaching and mentoring? Because there is a difference and being a Sherpa coach, by the way, take a moment and explain what Sherpa is to a lot of the folks who may not know. Yeah, it's just a particular model. There are lots and lots of really good models out there. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be the model that I was trained in. Okay. So coaching, for those who aren't aware, coaching is very different than consulting or training. And I, I define it kind of like this. Coaching and facilitation are about helping people find things themselves, where training and consulting is about telling them what to do. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Okay. So in mentoring, how does that differ in there than coaching? Well, so, I mean, I think the, both mentoring and coaching, really, I, when I do it, I sort of bring questions that help people come to new insights or new perspectives and help them maybe turn something on its side and look at it a little differently. But like you said, with coaching, really the folks in the environment, they, they have it in them. You're just sort of mm -hmm. helping them look at it through a different lens. Whereas mentoring, they also have it what they need, but, but they may need some additional stuff. They may need some new skills. They may need some new yeah. information that you have that they don't, because they're new to the organization often, or they're new in a position. So it's a little more on the consulting side or a little more informational and a little less just 
coaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of where I was looking at is everybody, everybody's a little different. So we got to figure out when to mentor somebody, when to coach them and whether it's a formal. Now, Eric, have you mentored people that are within and do you still have mentor mentee relationships with people that you are not directly supervising? Yes. Um, one individual right now, right now I'm currently formally mentoring two individuals and one is in a completely different part of the National Institutes of Health with a completely different background and um, a different pursuit for their career. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting. Do you have, and maybe Shannon as well, have you ever had somebody come up to you several years later and said, I want to thank you. I was watching you from afar and you mentored me without even knowing it. Has that ever happened? Well, yes, actually. I mean, mm -hmm. yes. If you're both familiar with the great Zig Ziglar. Of okay. Uh, Zig mentored me way before I ever met him and got to know him. And even after I got to know him, he was still doing it, even though it was never a formal relationship. And then one of the things I was able to say to him is how much he meant to me over the years for things like that. So, and I think that's that. such a nice tie into Eric's very initial thing about really showing how you show up as a leader, mm -hmm. that congruency and, and the impact that has, we often don't even understand or know. Right. I mean, the first time I ever met Zig Ziglar was back oh, 20 plus years ago. And I had written him a letter and he responded with a letter. This is snail mail letter days. He responded with a letter and said, I'll be in Baltimore. I hope to see you when you have that opportunity. Come by my table. Now, these events that Zig would speak at had 15,000 people. Now, Garrett, this ties to your congruency factor. I had been listening to Zig Ziglar speak for 15, 20 years at that point. And so after he did his thing on stage with 15,000 people, I go get in line. There must have been 1,000 people in line just to see him shake his hand, get his autograph. When I got up there, he looked at my name badge and said, Greg, it's great to meet you. He stood up, walked around the table, gives me a hug and says, thanks for coming out like I asked you to do in my letter. Was it helpful? How did he know? I didn't see anything on his table. So that there, the congruency factor alone was powerful. And my question is, how do you do that with people, how can you get them to see that with you on a consistent basis? I think authenticity will come through um, and, and being genuine, people will recognize that. And I think that's what's memorable about both of them. You know, I um, am of the opinion that, um, you know, I'm willing to share, you know, what my likes, dislikes, hobbies are because I, I too, like us all, you know, we are a whole person and we're defi not defined by what we do uh, nine to five. So there's lots of things in my life that have influenced who I am as, as a colleague, as an employee, as, um, you know, a subordinate to others uh, or as a mentor to others. And I want people to understand that when we're dealing with each other, again, there's not just one aspect to us. There's many aspects to us. And that's what brings all of those life experiences to the forefront and makes us who we are today. I have found that when you're transparent with people in that fashion and they see that, it, there's a bond that's created because again, it comes across as authenticity and that's what makes those interactions memorable. Exactly. Shannon, do you have anything you want to add on that? Yeah, no, I agree completely. The, I think that, you know, just like Zig, the thing is, though, 
is you, you can't fake caring. So you really have to be authentic mm-hmm. at this point and, and care about your people in a way that, you know, you do know that Sally's son loves soccer and he mm-hmm. had a soccer game on Saturday. So and that is so, so important when we understand everything about everybody. Um, I've had some people say it's none of their business. You know, I'm here to work. I'm not here to talk about my personal life. And that lets me know I got a little bit of a challenge with that person. Um, and that's, that's huge to look at that way. We're, we're probably spending more time, and I think you guys might agree that we're spending more time, not necessarily today, but we're spending more time with the people we work with than we are waking hours with our families on a traditional basis. And we've got to get along because if we can't, that's tough. Um, understanding how people work and how they get along and how they communicate, build your network because you never know when that person can come back. So the question I go to now is how do you maintain that network of people throughout the years? Um, for example, Eric, you've been with NIH for how many years total now? 20. 20 years. Wow. And you still probably have contacts that you met when you first started there. Right. How do you maintain those relationships? Because as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, there's more and more people. How can you come back to, to that? And how do you do it? Well, I think to something Shannon mentioned a moment ago is that, you know, th- there's nothing more personal, I don't believe, than someone's time. And as you said, Greg, we spend a lot of it in the office uh, or, or um, working with colleagues. And um, I believe if we truly invest in it in that way, and I, again, I respect there's different opinions out there and some people want to compartmentalize things and that's fine. Um, but, you know, the, the people that uh, I meet over the year that they want to reciprocate in those relationships, um, that's where you get to develop those real friendships. And I think that, you know, you go through the years and I think it's work. You have to make a conscious effort to maintain your network and keep it thriving. And I think it's healthy, at least for me, to keep it a very diverse network. So I like to pursue very different things, both, you know, what uh, occurs in, in the workplace, but whether it's from an administrative perspective, whether it's learning about the basic science, where it's le- learning more about the opportunities in the clinical setting for our patients or what's coming in the way of translational research. I think all of those are opportunities to not only expand our knowledge, but to expand our network. And in doing so, now we've given ourselves the gift of being able to learn from somebody else who has that experience that we wouldn't have. And, and if they are a good teacher and a willing participant, then we can learn through them. Absolutely. It goes to John Kennedy's quote from what, 1961 or two, I think. He said, a rising tide raises all ships. So if we start to really work and grasp that and accept that and not feel that way, it's strong. Shannon, how do you maintain your relationships? You know, I think it does take work and it is hard. And with all the competing demands, it can be very easy to sort of let them go. But I I think that um, it is just important to reach out occasionally, you know, whether it's, you know, I I have, I have a set of of, of women and it's Mother's Day. I reach out to them. Mm -hmm. The only time I I even email them in any way or Father's Day or, you know, everybody's birthday is on my calendar. So even if it's just minor things like that, Mm -hmm. just to say hello, 
um, and check in and, and ask them what's going on. Right. You know, sometimes it ends up with coffee or lunch. Sometimes it doesn't, but just making that connection, I think yeah. matters. I wish I could remember the gentleman's name. I was actually listening to another podcast a little over a week ago, and he was talking about the difference between being givers and takers in the workplace. And going back to what you guys have talked about today, identifying a true giver, not just somebody who fakes giving so they can get, and that, that's key, is recognizing that person who can give really starts to make the team, uh, and helps them grow and everything else, because a person who gives just to take, they may get a short-term gain, but they're going to end up having a long-term challenge. And that's a problem. And that's, that's where we start to go with that. As we get ready to wrap up here, my last question is, how do you guys stay motivated? What is there something that you do? I mean, I've got friends who will go out and run. I've got others who will go to the gym when they can go to the gym. What do you do to really release those endorphins for you? Shannon, go ahead. Why don't you start with us? Well, I mean, I, I certainly, I do exercise on the regular basis, but in, in all honesty, staying motivated for me at the NCI is incredibly simple because of the incredible mission that we have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I go to work every day and I feel like I, because I am working with science, I'm not a scientist, but I'm working with scientists. I'm helping them work better together, find better ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. One of the things I get very passionate about uh, is innovating and doing new things or doing it better and doing that in an environment where everything that we're doing really matters to people and is right. making a difference in their lives. It, it's hard not to be motivated. Oh yeah. When you get those messages back that say, I really learned a lot and what I, what, and what you teach and what you're doing in your department, I'm sure can be used, not just at NCI, but it can be used in the personal lives as well. And we hear that, that a lot. Happens, yeah. And that's just a great feeling. Eric, what do you do to get motivated? Well, I do I look run. at your son every day. I do run. Uh, I have a beautiful bride and uh, a wonderful 15 year old son. Um, so those are certainly motivators. But, you know, I try and approach uh, every day and every interaction from a happiness perspective. And I feel like, you know, if you project a, a happy and a positive demeanor, people tend to reflect that back. Yeah. And again, the interactions are great. Uh, they're smooth. Uh, you both, you know, leave those exchanges, uh, you know, feeling energized and you look forward to the next opportunity to work together. And that's what, you know, just keeps mo motivation going forward is one great, you know, uh, relationship and interaction after another. And that's absolutely right. We've got to stay motivated, especially in times like this, because things are happening and changing so fast. We just don't know. And there are things we can control and things we can't control. And I think we've heard that. It's an old expression. We know it, but yet we fall guilty to it. So staying motivated, reading things. And one of the other things that I've heard from a lot of other people, some people who've talked here on the uh, Teamwork Advantage have said, it just starts from an attitude of being grateful. And the more we are about gratefulness about everything and starting that day. So I've started doing that a, about a year ago. I started saying every day things I am grateful for. And I only list five things. And I may say the same five things two or three days in a row. But as we start to do that, then we start to feel better and we have that energy level as we start off. Any things in closing that you guys want to bring up that we wanted that we didn't touch on and go deep enough for you? No? 
Nothing I, in particular. This has been fantastic. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, the opportunity, Greg, and I appreciate Shannon joining us, too. I, I should have said this at the beginning. She's one of my coaches. <laughs> so I go to her for advice all the time. And um, mm -hmm. so I'm extremely grateful for her and all she does for me. And Greg, I think you do outstanding work as well. And I appreciate every opportunity to interact with you. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you invited Shannon. It's a pleasure to uh, get to meet you, Shannon. Um, I've got several friends who are certified coaches in different uh, features and things like that. So I've learned the coaching side of things and it's a challenge for me to be a coach. I am definitely more the trainer speaker and it's, it's a difference. Uh, it is. The good part is at least you got to recognize the difference. And so absolutely. again, I appreciate the time you guys have given me today on the teamwork advantage. Um, we're going to have a whole lot of fun throughout this series. Please let people know about it. And uh, we'll be back and we'll have some fun and talking to more people in the next adventure on the Teamwork Advantage. Take care and have a great day because having a good day is only being average. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.